Well, good to be with you. I will save a lot of my introductory remarks for the next hour. Uh, I picked my longer lesson for this one because this is the one where you get more time. So if I start doing five minutes of intro, then we're just going to cross right into the next lesson. So we'll go ahead and save those things. Except for me to say I'm glad to be with you and I am looking forward to this week. Uh, we're going to talk about this morning about our, our need to get to know God and, and the reasons why that's so important. How many times have you thought that if something was in the Bible that's actually not in the Bible at all? Uh, we have a lot of statements and a lot of phrases that we think are, are biblical. One of my favorites of all time that I always thought was in the Bible was the phrase, and this too shall pass. And I tried to find that even in the King James. It's not in there. there you could walk around using that like crazy. This too shall pass. Uh, it's not biblical. Uh, the phrases like cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, that's not in the Bible either. Uh, be true to yourself. The Lord works in mysterious ways. There was an apple in the Garden of Eden. There were three wise men. Uh, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Actually, that's not in the Bible either. It doesn't say that. Um, there are all kinds of things that we often take for granted and presume that are biblical. Think that are statements in the scriptures. One that's often used. God helps those who help themselves. Actually, that Bible says the opposite of that rather than saying that. Uh, but unfortunately, we do that. Um, so what I wanted to do was begin by just talking about how God has called us uh, to get to know Him and, and why that is so important. Jeremiah chapter 31, a passage you probably know fairly well that says, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You'll notice that Jeremiah envisions in the New Covenant that the new people of God, those who belong to the Lord, are people that already know Him. They are not a people that one day will figure it out and eventually get to know Him. Is that these people, they already know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And notice that He says those who know God are the ones who have their sins forgiven. They are the ones who will know God, have sins forgiven, and it's not something that you would come along and figure out one day. I think that's an important picture because if we said that the other way, the simple conclusion is that those who do not know God do not have their sins forgiven. Knowing God is of the utmost importance. It ought to be our our purpose of life and, and be something that we are pressing forward to in such a critical way because without knowing God, there is no way that we're going to be able to enjoy a relationship with Him. Jesus said the same thing over in John chapter 10 and verse 14 when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now the front end part we would probably be very agreeable to. We're just, okay, God, I know my own and they know me. Alright, so God knows us and we know Him. But have you thought about the second line right after that? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that's how much God knows us and we know Him. That's a 
pretty strong declaration about how much we know God. Just as the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father, Jesus says, I know my own, and that's how much they know me. There's a depth of relationship that Jesus is picturing. And that's what I'm trying to help us see in the beginning of these these passages, is that the idea of knowing God is not being able to quote Acts 2.38 and Romans 10, and okay, I've got maybe my seven Bible verses down, and therefore I know God. Nor is knowing God, repenting, confessing, being baptized, and okay, now I know God. Notice there's a depth of relationship that is being pictured. And Jesus expresses it and saying, you know what, my sheep know me. Yeah, I know them, but they know me very well. They know everything about who I am. And that relationship then exists. In fact, if you think about how often that happens in the Scriptures where Jesus will make statements like that to people who did know God, and God will tell them, actually, you don't know me at all. Uh, One of my favorites is if you remember like in Mark chapter 12 when you have the Sadducees coming up to Jesus and they have this grand illustration, this, this, this grand exaggeration, if you will. Here is this man, you know, here's this woman who is, marries a man and he dies and then she marries another and he dies and seven times that happens. Now, in heaven, in the resurrection, whose husband, whose wife does she, whose wife is she or whose husband belongs to her? And do you remember Jesus' answer to that? Jesus says you're quite wrong because you do not know God or the power of God, nor do you know the Scriptures. Now think about that for a minute. Do you think the Sadducees knew the Scriptures? Uh, They're using the Scriptures to make a point. They're using the Levitical law to say, okay, here's what God said about if you have a wife and the husband dies and they bear no children, you're supposed to marry the next brother and on and on and on. They're using the Bible itself. Of course they know the Scriptures. And Jesus turns around to them and says, well, you don't actually know the Scriptures at all. You don't know the Scriptures. You know it, but you don't know it. You know God, but you actually don't know God. And I I would like for that to just resonate in your mind for a moment because it's going to be a lot of what we do this week. In looking at God and seeing the glory of God, and we're going to be talking about our pictures of redemption, you have Jesus saying, there is a way to know God and not know Him at all. And there is a way to know the Scriptures and not know the Scriptures at all. And that should be kind of frightening. I mean, you think about how often Jesus is going around and talking to those people and always challenging them about that. People who were supposed to know the law. By the way, people who should have known who Jesus was, should have seen this is the Messiah, this is clearly the Christ. People who have the Scriptures memorized. The scribes are one of the main opponents of Jesus. For their living, they wrote down the law over and over and over again and then turned around and taught it to people. And Jesus would tell them they don't know God. They don't know anything at all. Knowing God is not about a knowledge of the Scriptures. 
Knowing God is not about knowing key verses. Knowing the power of God or knowing the Scriptures isn't about any of those things that sometimes we put forward as that. But it really is a coming to the Scriptures for relationship with God. Really coming to the Scriptures and understanding who God is. And so this morning what I want to do is spend some time talking about some techniques, some ideas of how we can come to know God and how we can actually truly come to know the Scriptures. And in doing that, I think that will kind of set the table for a lot of the things that I'm going to do this week. Is that I'm going to be doing lessons, but I'm hoping at the same time to encourage you in the way I'm doing the lessons to see there's another way to approach scriptures. That sometimes if we grew up in the pews, we might have been taught to approach the scriptures in a very different way. Uh, sometimes we were taught when we grew up in the pews, just, you just need to know these certain things. And if you just know these certain things, you're good to go. Uh, I've often had Christians leave and say, you know, do I really have to know that to go to heaven? <laughs> you imagine saying to God, I, you know, do I really need to know Habakkuk to get to heaven? Is that really important? Is that really... Is there something that we would say before God? Not all of your word is critical, right? Just, just some of it. Acts is important. Habakkuk wasn't. Um, let's see. We like Matthew. Matthew's gospel, but Mark's gospel, you know, it's shorter. Not that one. What are we going to say before God about that? So let's talk about how we can get to know God. And I know these are going to sound really strange, but let's talk about them for a minute. Number one. In getting to know God, I think it's important that we never read a Bible verse. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) What do you mean by that? Don't ever read a Bible verse. What I mean by that is verses are so artificial, right? Uh, The numbers that were put in there that we delineate off and say, here is a verse, is such an easy way to take something completely out of the context. And completely miss what the whole paragraph was about, what the whole context is about. One of the things that I think is very troubling when we read and when we study is how often verse numbers and chapter numbers get in the way. Your mind and my mind naturally stop because there's a number there. And think about how you do that. Um, you know, one of my favorites is, have you noticed how many times a chapter will begin with the word therefore or so? And we'll stop at the prior chapter and just quit and go, okay, that's all. And it's like, wait, he wasn't done. <laughs> we get these big numbers in the way that cause us to stop. Don't just simply read a Bible verse, but to read the whole paragraph, enjoy all of it that is trying to say. I, I can't tell you how often I have misunderstood places in Scripture because what I did was I allowed the numbers to stop me. And I just stopped midstream. And I didn't carry on and see what the rest of it was about. Ephesians is an excellent example of that. How often those chapter breaks are in horrendous spots. Because it's right in the middle of getting through to you these really glorious and key points. And we'll just kind of stop right in the middle and quit. So read through paragraphs. Read through chapters. Make sure that you have the whole thought. Make sure that you have the whole idea. Get all of the surrounding connections. And I think it'll help you see the big picture Bible study. Bible reading becomes really enjoyable if it's not just simply looking at the Bible as random singular statements from God. Sometimes we approach it that way. It's like here are these random disconnected sentences that God has dropped on us. 
And to really think about there's a, a beauty of what God is trying to do and what He's revealed in His Word. I submit to you that's some of the warning about topical teaching and topical preaching. Is How many times have you probably heard a lesson where you, a verse is used to make a point and you were sitting there in the pew and you said, that's not what that verse meant. He made a whole point out of that verse, but that's not at all what that paragraph was talking about. But because he took this idea, lifted it out of the context, lifted out of everything that was connected around it, and you go, wait a minute, that's not what he... Sometimes it's like that's the exact opposite of what that was getting at. And so I think it's important to realize that there are dangers in that, that we would want to encourage in our own studies and encourage in teaching that we want to be able to get the whole picture. We want to be able to see everything that it's about. Can you imagine, for those of you who read novels, I'll start with you, and then for those who just watch the movies, I'll go to you next. For the, can you imagine reading a novel, reading any book, and what you did with the book was not read it from start to finish, but you jumped around just to all the things that everybody said were the good parts. You know, well, page 110 is a real good one. You really need to know 110. So read, read page 110 and know that one really well. Then when you're done with page 110, go over to 150 and read that one. And make sure you read the end of the book because that's a pretty good ending. But you don't have to read all of them. Well, you can say you're crazy. Of course you have to read it from start to finish. You can't just jump around and pick out pieces and sentences and ideas and think you know what the book is about. The same thing with watching a movie. Can you imagine getting a movie sitting down? Here's your two-hour movie. And your friend said, now all you need to do is fast forward to about the 45-minute mark and watch those 10 minutes. And that's really all you need to know if you just catch those 10 minutes. (laughs) I want you to think about how often that's how the Scriptures are treated. That, you know, it's only in modern times that we've been able to bind up 66 individual books into one unit. That these books are standalone books that were written and declared by prophets or apostles. And our tendency is to do that very thing, is just to kind of jump in the middle, grab something out of it, and think we know what it's all about. Can you imagine watching 10 minutes of a movie and going around telling the world how you know everything that that movie is about? People look at you like, you don't know anything about the movie. You didn't catch the beginning, you didn't get the end, you didn't get any of it you just got a small snippet of it I'm afraid that's often the same thing that we have a tendency to do when it comes to God's word as we jump in and find our favorite passages or what people have told us are important places and we haven't been able to enjoy the whole of the literature of scriptures one of my fears is that we know many topics about the Bible we know about baptism and repentance and grace and we have all of the topics down And if you said, okay, well, where would you go to talk about baptism? Okay, I've got five verses for you when it comes to baptism. But if somebody said, what is the book of Ephesians about? Would you know? Or what's the book of Habakkuk about? Or what is the difference between the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark? You see, we've almost ingrained a culture where it's just, what do I need to know? We're very much in that culture right now. Can you distill the Bible down into 140 characters or less? Just tell me what I need to know. Give me the quick hit. Something that I can just meme online, and that's all I need to know about the Bible. And God didn't reveal Himself that way. 
There is a beauty in what God did and how He revealed His Word in that each of these things, these books that we are given, have a literary quality to it and a literary beauty to it that, are, that stand alone. And you're intended to start with the beginning of like a letter to the Apostle Paul and not quickly get to Ephesians chapter 2, but start in the beginning and move your way through and see the buildup and see the flow and see the literature and see the beauty of it and move your way all the way through the book. There's a lot, of, I think, that's, that's, that's really needed in requiring the highlight of that. Think about Ephesians, for example. Can you imagine if we put on a scale how many lessons and teachings we've heard out of chapters 4 through 6 versus what chapters 1 through 3? Because 4 through 6 has all the application, right? So put off the old self, put on the new self. Wives submit to husbands, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents, put on all the armor of God. It's all that. So, we, so we, all the lessons are over there. But how many out of chapters 1 through 3? But chapters 4 through 6 require chapters 1 through 3. Because Ephesians 4 verse 1 has this critical pivot where it says, now I'm calling you to walk in a worthy manner. I want you to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And the calling is not chapters 4 through 6. He describes this beautiful calling that we have been given in the first three chapters. And because of the information in the first three chapters, that'll make you want to do what chapters 4 through 6 now say of how to walk worthy based on the calling that was described in the first half. But often we circumvent that stuff. We want to hurry up and just get to the end, get to the point, tell me what I have to do. And miss the beauty of what God's trying to say. So to highlight then really the beauty of God's Word and to see all that it is really about. I think it's just such a beautiful thing. So never read a, just simply a, a, a Bible verse. Never, never do that. I think that's such an important picture for us. Number two, look for why a text was being written. Look for why the text was being written. If you've studied 1 John, you might think about how 1 John is awfully complicated. It's probably not one of the top ten books of the Bible that you'd say, I'm in a big hurry to go study 1 John. It's complicated. It's circular in a lot of the arguments. There's light and love. And what is all that about? But almost every book will give you an indication of what it's about, why it's there. Notice the ending of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He gets to the very end and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason the book of 1 John exists is so that the Christian can know that he or she has eternal life. Does that make you want to read it a little bit more? Since that's what the whole purpose of the book is. Everything in there is so that you can know you have eternal life. And you see, the idea of it is, now when I go and I read through the book of 1 John, I'm asking myself the question, so how does this paragraph help me know that I have eternal life? 
How is this paragraph going to bolster my faith and give me encouragement and strength so that I, when I read this, it's going to encourage me to know that I have eternal life? These purpose statements are, are so important. They're usually found either in the beginning of a letter or at the end of the letter or somewhere at the front of a book where you get this big idea of here's why this is here. Here's the reason I wrote this. Here's what this is about. And to look for those things when you read God's Word because it will make it so much more enjoyable if you have the lens by which to read it. It's a beautiful thing to know. Why am I reading this? What is the whole point of this? What is the purpose of it about? And so that's what we're looking for is asking those kinds of questions. Asking why this text is here. I find it interesting that the Gospel of John, he ends by saying, you know, if we were to write everything about what Jesus did, the world could not contain it in all the books. Doesn't that make you ask the question, so then why do we have the particular things that we do have? If we have this really small amount about the life of Jesus, and John says, I could have filled volumes... I just could have filled up a library recording everything that he did and said. But all that's left is this much. How important is this much? There's a reason why those parables were said. There's a reason why those miracles were recorded. There's a reason why those teachings were given. One of my favorites is, think about the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. Do you know how many chapters are devoted to the 40 years in the wilderness? It's like from Numbers 13 to Numbers 19. There's about six chapters that record 40 years of wilderness wandering. There's very little information. But the things that are recorded should jump off the page. Because in all those 40 years, all you did was record these three events. Those must be really important events. Those must be critical teaching moments. So I want us just to see why is that text recorded as you study the Scriptures, as you read, as you think about enjoying Scriptures and reading through it. Why is this here? Why would He record that? Why did He say that right here? There's obviously something important that's being given here. Sometimes I think we have the approach of Scriptures as well. That's in there because God just wanted a really big book. So let's just see how big we can make it. We'll waste inspiration paper. There's a reason why. Every word has a reason why. And to approach the Scriptures in that way, I'd also include in that appreciating the unique aspects of the Scriptures. I'll get on my hobby horse on this one for for just a moment, but I think one of the worst things that we've ever tried to do is harmonize the Gospels. The reason why is if God wanted us to have only one Gospel, do you think He would have given us just one? If He wanted us to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put them in a blunder, do you think He would have done that and said, all right, here you go, here's the whole life? Rather than highlighting and trying to figure out how to reconcile each of the four books, when you see something different, ask yourself the question, why is that different? There's a reason that Mark has something that Matthew doesn't. Why? I don't subscribe to the liberal scholars and go, well, they were all borrowing off of Q, this, this Q, phantom Q document we've never found, and so they all copied off of each other and elaborated. And... No. The Holy Spirit put these things down in the way that they are written down. And rather than trying to study the Gospel of Mark by bringing in everything we know from Matthew and Luke, 
Why does Mark say it the way he says it? And why does he record what he records? And why does Luke emphasize the things he emphasizes? Really highlight the aspects of that. Studying Kings and Chronicles is far more interesting that way. Sometimes we do that with Kings and Chronicles, as we just make, turn that into encyclopedia. You know, here's what happened in Kings, here's what happened in Chronicles. Okay, merge them together. Kings is far more narrative and historical, but when you study Chronicles, it is radically different. You've probably noticed that. It has almost nothing to do with the northern nation of Israel. It's all about the southern nation, and it's very positive. Very positive about restoration. It's a very hopeful book. It's a book that comes in the time of the exile. It doesn't talk about, you know, David's sin in regards to Bathsheba. That's not in there. We're not going to talk about that. But it's interesting to highlight the differences. Why does the king's account speak of things in this way and the chronicler goes a completely different way? What is his purpose? Why did he do that? So what I'm trying to do with the second point is just ask yourself, as you read, don't just simply read, but have the mind engaged to ask yourself, what is he trying to say right there? What is going on with that? Why does he do that? Which leads them to number three. Just think about what the text said. I can't tell you how often I've read the scriptures simply way too fast. It's perhaps the biggest negative to the read your Bible in a year. I think that's a very noble goal. I've encouraged it in my congregation. But there's one downfall. And the downfall is the tendency just to hurry up and get through the particular reading you're in so that you can get it done in 365 days. You know, if it takes you three years, that's okay. (laughs) You know, that's all right. If you will understand and really have a depth as you read, then cut the reading down and slow down and enjoy what's being said. Please think about how many times Jesus engages those religious leaders and He simply says, have you not read? Well, ask yourself for a minute, have they read? Of course they had. They had read that law again and again and again and again. And Jesus has the audacity to come up to them and say, well, haven't you read? And what Jesus is doing is saying, you haven't read with understanding. It's like you didn't get it. You, you, you need to slow down and really think about what is God saying in these words. Don't be in such a hurry. Read a sentence and break that down and go, what is that about? I'm looking forward to doing that with you in a lot of our studies this week. Of just We're going to slow down on some particular verses, passages, just go, I want you to see something amazing here. Things that we've read a thousand times and just go, wait a minute. This is stunning. It's encouraging. It's faith building. It's amazing. But sometimes we have a hurry in our reading and a hurry in our studies and we don't soak in exactly everything that God is saying. One of the ways I'd, I'd encourage you to do to do that, and uh, I, I think these things are, are become a lot of fun. It, this, t- t- this took me like forever to finally do, this journaling and note-taking, things like that. For the longest time, I could not put pencils and pens in my Bible. You might be like me in that. That, that just can't. <laughs> really bothered me. I was like, what if I change my mind? I don't want to write in my Bible, and then tomorrow I'm going to see something different and mess it all up. Or I'm gonna do so I would stay away from writing in my Bible. And then a wonderful thing has happened in the past few years. 
They have made these wide margin Bibles and journaling Bibles where they actually put lines on the side of the paper and the lines, for whatever reason, now I can write in that Bible because the lines tell me it's okay. <laughs> you know, I can now do it. I just couldn't do it with any of the other editions of a Bible. I'd buy it and I tell myself, I'm going to write in this one and I won't do it. I just keep it pristine and I, I just I couldn't get over the mental block. Journaling Bibles are great. Uh, absolutely great. These, I want to show you, are absolutely amazing. These are these called, they're called scripture journals. This is just only the Gospel of, Math, uh, Gospel of Mark is this one right here. And what it does is on the left side is the text and on the right side is just lines. Begging you to color. You notice there's even some wide margin over here. Take notes and all that. So if I went to a page where I've done some, some uh, doodling. These were great when I was up at Sheehan's because I could do all this while the surgery was going on. So you can color and write. And da, 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 da. These are really expensive. These are $3.99 each. And they're amazing. Where you can just... Take that and go, I'm just color it up. Now you feel okay to write on that. So it's a paperback. It's okay. <laughs> it's wonderful. There are so many tools that now exist. And I cannot tell you how enjoyable it is to engage the scriptures with a pen or a pencil, colored pencils, highlighters, where you can just color, draw, highlight, mark, circle, engage the text. You will see things like you've never seen before if you do that. We've all heard that the stories about education where, you know, if you only hear, you might keep hardly any retention whatsoever. And if you hear and see, you get closer to about 50%. But if you hear and you see and you write, you record, you get up to 90% retention. That's what you're doing. Is You can say it as you see it and color it as you go. And you're going to remember the text and you're going to really enjoy the text. I have just absolutely loved doing it. In fact, I brought a bunch of different ones with me after this morning lesson during our break. I'm going to leave them on the table up here. And you can look through them and just see, see what they're all about. But, but these are great. I, I, I love these. It just came out with the Old Testament like three weeks ago. I've been dying for the Old Testament to come out. That's going to be really great. Because it's like you're on the job and you say, I, I, don't, I can't fit my Bible. You can fit. Look at this. So you can bend that in half and back pocket that thing. You know, you're good to go. You're ready for work. That'll fit in your locker. That's, it's, it's fantastic how you can just have the Bible with you, pick a book, and this encourages you just to stay in your book and not go all over the place and read it for, for what it is. Number four, apply the text. Absolutely apply the text. So in using these notebooks or wide margin Bibles or say, I don't want to use a Bible, then just get yourself a spiral notebook and have it next to your Bible and just write down, what is this passage teaching me? One of the most exciting things you'll ever do with the Scriptures is as you read, if you will ask yourself, what did that just teach me about God? What did that just teach me about who He is? You learn something amazing about His character or He does something amazing or you see something that He's doing, you just write that down and go, look at what that just taught me about God. How does that change my life? And it's important as we talk about application that we always first try to understand what was intended to the original audience. How was that supposed to affect their life? And how it affect their lives and how does that change my life? What does that mean now to me now that I understand what it meant to them? 
But when you will write and record, not simply in just a scholarly academic way, you know, oh, there's this, this word right here. But you will read that paragraph and you'll write down, wow, that's amazing about God. Or that tells me I need to change this. Or I need to pray about that. Or how this will affect my life. And you write those things down. Yeah, you think about all the space you have to just go crazy writing down what you learned, what you saw about God, how that changes your life, what I need to do different, what I could change today, what I need to pray about. It's a great opportunity to do that, just applying the text to your life. Read it in a way of now, what does this do for me? See, that was the big problem with the scribes, right? Have you not read? What is Jesus getting at by have you not read? Of course they've read. But they didn't dig deep. They didn't let it affect the heart. They didn't engage God's Word with mind and heart. They had simply read rather than engaged it, thought about it, applied it, contemplated it deeply. Number five, I want to encourage you then to jumpstart your reading. This is strange, but it's, I think, human nature. I'm going to encourage you to buy yourself a new Bible, and here's the reason why. There is something about newness that gets us excited about things. When you buy something new, what do you want to do with it? You want to touch it, look at it, check it out. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what you buy. Anything you buy new, you need to play with it for a few days, right? And so I would really encourage you, if you are struggling with reading and studying the Scriptures, to jumpstart your reading, just buy one. Buy a new one. Now, it's... I don't even know if you do. You get, over on my side of, of the state of Florida, we don't even have Bible bookstores. They've all went out of business. And the one that we did had literally charged retail full price. Don't do that. <laughs> you can buy these things for a really affordable now. You can get really nice Bibles. You can get soft cover Bibles, and they don't cost much at all. Go online. You can find those kinds of things. Uh, Buy yourself a new Bible and engage the text in in that way. And I'm going to encourage something that I know is nearly heretical. But if you have always used one translation your whole life, let me beg you to pick a different one. Because you will see different things. Because one of the things that happens of the have you not read is we start reading a verse and our mind is already finishing what that text says. And you're not engaging your mind anymore because you just know that by memorization. And it's nice to grab a different translation where it makes your brain stop and actually read it because it used a different word that you always grew up with. You go, wait a minute, that's not the way I remember that. I grew up on the New King James. And so everything that was ever memorized to me was on the New King James. And so even still, I'll come to verses where my mind starts engaging the New King James reading. And I'll go, what? I'm in the ESV usually now these days. So I go, oh, that, that's a little different. Make me stop and think about it. Whatever text you've used before, whatever translation, pick a different one. All of these are good. You might be surprised I have NIV up there. The reason why is in 2011, they updated that. The 84 text, yeah, thumbs down, had sinful nature all throughout it. I don't like it, didn't, never used it, all that. They fixed a ton of it in 2011. And the ones you buy in the store today are far, far, far better. They got rid of sinful nature. They got rid of a lot of the stuff that was very problematic in that translation. Far more reliable. I'd be okay on a desert island with it now versus before then I would be like, no, this is not going to be worth my time. So... Uh, new one, Christian Standard Bible, Net Bible, New Revised Standard, whatever it is. Even if you've always been New King James, you say, I'll go to New American Standard. Great. 
If you've always been New American Standard, go New King James. That's great. Or ESV is very dependable. I use that a lot uh, for myself. But just buy a new Bible. And if you're going to try like a journaling one or a wide margin one, I'd say get a different translation. You'd be amazed how much you will see things differently because your mind will not automatically just fill in the rest of those sentences that you've come to know very well. And then finally, number six, read with this grand purpose. That you would read to see the glory and the beauty of God. That when you pick up God's word, you will read to just see God. Don't read it in terms of what do I have to do or what do I need to know. Don't do that. Just read it and go, what do I learn about God from that paragraph? What was God trying to display about himself? What was he trying to show Moses about himself? What was Jesus trying to show the people about himself when he spoke those teachings or did that miracle? What is Paul showing us about God when he does all those application texts about how we are to act? It's so important that we read not just simply in terms of do this and don't do this. That, that's a very boring read. That's, that's about as exciting as reading your owner's manual in your car. I know all of you have read that, right? Why not? Why haven't the first thing you do when you buy a car is you break out the owner's manual and read that cover to cover, don't you? I don't think I know anybody that does. Why not? Because all it is is a bunch of do and do nots, right? Don't, you know, add the oil like this. Do this is how much. It's just it's, it's do and do not. It's boring. If you read the Bible as a bunch of do and do nots, and all that your lens is for reading it is what should I do or not do, it will be staggeringly boring. And if you've ever said in your heart, I find this reading boring, I would challenge you that's probably the reason why is that you're probably reading it just in terms of let me get through it and figure out what do I have to do or what am I not supposed to do. And that's boring. That's like reading the IRS tax code. You know, we all love that's, you know, it's the time of year to start reading up the rules. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. That's boring. God's Word's not boring. But sometimes we put the wrong lens on it. And I want to excite you in, in, in doing that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.14. And speaking about the Jewish people, he said their minds were hardened for the, to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now catch this, slow down on this. And we all, with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord. So here we are, seeing the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. He says, There's this transformation that happens. We are changed from one degree of glory to another by beholding the glory of the Lord with an unveiled face. What do we need to be staring at to see that? Oh, it doesn't fit on the screen. Okay, good to know for future slides. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you will read this with an unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, you will be transformed from one degree to another. That's how transformation happens. That's how it's going to occur. If we behold it that way, it's not a rule book. It's not the owner's manual of your car. It's not the IRS tax code. It's not thou shalt and thou shalt not. It is God displaying His amazing glory. And we ought to accentuate that. That there are books where there is narrative. And the narrative of Genesis through Joshua or Judges is not, well, let me just tell you the history of Israel. It's telling you about God. You are seeing amazing things about God. I look forward to doing some lessons out of the Old Testament with you this week that just kind of highlight that idea. Is that it's not about Israel. It's about God. Look at God. Think about how many books are in poetry. That God engages your heart, especially if you're that right-brained kind of, you know, more artistic, poetic. It's not me. I've got my degree in accounting, so I'm major left brain, have a hard time tapping into that area of my life. (laughs) Poetry's hard for me. But you just can engage that poetry. God gave the poetry and there's beauty and symbolism and imagery and to capture all that prophecy. Think about the prophets where there's poetry in that. There's a beauty of God's heart being displayed as He uses His prophets to indicate the glory of who He is. New Testament has a story of Jesus and narrative. Acts is not just simply history. I'm running out of time, but I've got to think that the book of Acts was not given so that we would memorize Paul's missionary journeys in every city that he stopped at. (laughs) There's a reason why that book exists. And it's not that you would go, okay, first they went from Antioch, and then they went to Cyprus, and then they went... You know, we turn the book into boredom when we do that. But it's showing great things about God if we would engage it in the right way. Same thing with the letter. Same thing with the book of Revelation. I look forward to doing that with you with you this week. I'll put the ideas of the different Bible uh, things up here on the table, and we'll talk more about these things this week. Thank you for your attention.